Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bell and Dan, episode 88 for Friday, June 8th, 2012. I am Bill Watman. I am Dan Gottesman. And we are once again live. Live. live from Studio 8. Where, where, what's your apartment number? 4L. Studio 4L in Park Slope, Brooklyn. That'd be kind of cool. What's There's that? There's a studio downstairs. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The kid, the kid who runs it uh, lives downstairs. And apparently he is a um, big fan of the Zay Frank. Huh. So apparently he stopped Heather on the way down the stairs the other day to be like, oh, I, I saw Bill on Zay Frank, <laughs> which that's, is kind of cute. That's funny. Yeah. David. Nice guy. Totes. Uh, um, yeah. No, it's crazy. Hey, have you seen this uh, little Canon pancake lens? You know, I saw a quick thumbnail of it. I have been retardedly busy, like ridiculously busy for the past couple of weeks. You mean redonkulously? Perhaps. Um, hence the, you know, uh, longer than average time between our uh, last episode and this one. Um, and, and part of that busyness, um, unfortunately, is, is, you know, I get behind on my feeds. So uh, today's my first day off in a while. And I, 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 I cruised through some of the photo stuff, but I, I didn't read about it. You know, like sometimes, I don't know about you, when, I, when I'm trying to catch up, when I'm in catch up mode, mm-hmm. going through my RSS stuff, a lot of times I'll pass over, I'll be sooner to pass over the, the, the items that are, that are just text, you know? Sure. Um, and then sometimes some sites do the, the half and half where they'll, they'll post like the first paragraph in a picture and other places do the whole, you know, do the whole, the whole post. Um, so I only saw a thumbnail post of the lens that you're talking about. And I don't remember what site it was on. I didn't have a time to read it, but I, I saw it. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cute looking. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a, uh, it's 40 millimeter mm-hmm. full frame mm-hmm. F 2.8 mm-hmm. and it's less than an inch deep. Yeah. It makes, it makes you wonder why you don't, um, you don't see that focal length. I mean, that's a really rare, uncommon focal length for the, yeah. for, you know, at least for 35 millimeter cameras sort of like a weird little it's i think some of the old canon rangefinders yeah the little rangefinders like i know that um canonet or whatever they were yeah i think i think um yeah leica and even zeiss and some of the you know some of the other companies made lenses like that it's nice a little wider than 50 but not so wide not as wide as 35 yeah Yeah. it's weird little combo i'd be curious probably a pretty cool little walk around lens yeah, I mean, you know, actually, I think that's two hundred bucks. Too. That focal length is probably more more common in smaller compact cameras, like um, like that Fuji X yeah. X One, or, or maybe one of those like Sigma things. Remember the Sigma little DP whatevers? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, like the high end, higher end point and shoot cameras. Sure. Um, I think that Ricoh made one that had a fixed lens that was like equivalent to like thirty eight millimeters or something yeah. like that. You know, it might be a good little space in between. I'm, you know, I'm tempted to get one Just for two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks, dude. Yeah, it's, um, like a, it's like a body cap. And apparently, uh, it's got a stepping motor focus mechanism, which they call STM. It's mm-hmm. like a new motor mm-hmm. that is apparently smooth and quiet, and is sort of somewhat designed so that it doesn't make any noise when you're shooting video. Hmm. Neat. Because apparently, the EF lenses, if you use autofocus, you can hear the rant, rant, rant. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. apparently these are very silent, a little slower, but more silent. Neat. I don't know. It's kind of cool. 200 bucks. Yeah. Tempting. Speaking of video, um, I was shooting with my old pal, Seth Thompson last week and, uh, I got my first like quality hands-on time with a, uh, an icon D 800. And what'd you think? Uh, I like that, man. I, a lot of people are giving it, um, crap about being a little small and feeling a little weird in the hands. Yeah. Uh, although in this case, he, he, Seth had actually purchased and installed the, the grip. So I didn't, I didn't really have, I didn't get a chance to see that for my, you know, for myself, uh, with the grip on it, it felt just fine, you know, as you'd expect. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like anything else it had, it had that sort of classic Nikon, um, quality build, you yeah. know, build and design. And, um, 
felt good in the hands. And there are a couple of really slick little features that I kind of dug. Um, for one thing, the auto speaking of autofocus during video, that really worked, you know, um, yeah. in the older DSLRs that I remember monkeying around with video, um, which, you know, like my D90, for example, or, or even I think the 5D Mark II, uh, autofocus just, that was, you know, people do not, you know, it doesn't, it wasn't even an option. You can't do, I mean, I don't think the 5D Mark II does let you do autofocus in video mode. I don't think uh, it can. Yeah, I think the Mark III does. I think the Mark III does, and then, you know, subsequent, you right. know, cameras can, but those. But I don't think people who are using those for serious, like, movie kind of stuff are yeah. autofocusing anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I haven't had a ton of experience with it. That's the, right. long, that's the takeaway here. Uh, but I had it, this thing in my hand, and I was really kind of. Uh, pleasantly surprised at, at how how well it worked, um, which is I, interesting because our common friend Claude. Yeah, I hung out with him last week. Oh yeah, uh, for I a few hours. Haven't seen him in ages. Yeah, uh, but he said he played with one and he was unimpressed with it. In what respect? He didn't like it at all. Uh, he didn't like the video output, as I recall. Oh, I, see, I didn't. I was looking just looking at it on the screen on the little display in the back. Um, I, did, I couldn't speak to the actual. And he file. said that it got noisy. At a lower ISO than he wanted it to. Hmm. That even that even um, at lower ISOs, like the transition between mid tones and shadows, mm-hmm. he said, just kind of it was very abrupt. Hmm. You know, almost like it was um, being compressed too much. Yeah, aliased almost. You know, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It, you know, it, it could go either way. I guess some yeah, people I'm, are I'm, happy with them. I guess I'm speaking strictly to just user interface and handling. Uh, I, I I haven't spend any time looking at the files that come out of it still or video yeah but from a technical just you know just a a design you know holding it in your hands and using it point of view i think it's great uh, and seth both, was editing these files on a laptop um i think so i mean yeah that's all he had on him i don't know if he was finishing I mean, he wasn't probably doing all that yeah, much. But he, he was just you know he shot, through he, him. he shot a lot of stuff so i think getting down getting things narrowed down but um you know some nice little touches of the fact that it still retains a lot of pro features uh and that the two front right hand buttons um which would traditionally be the lower one would be the the depth of field preview button and then the one above it is just the function button uh those are fully programmable which is kind of where nice. do those go those are if you're if you're holding the camera in your right hand uh and you're, you know your index is usually on the uh the shutter um where your ring finger and or your middle finger sit like so the 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 ring your ring finger the bottom would be yeah. nearest the bottom button which isn't you know if you're looking at the camera head on um, yeah. and you know, Nikon is reading from, you know, left to right. Canon has a, has the depth of field preview there, but there's another button there. Yeah. So the depth of field would be on the lower left hand corner, if you will, of, of where the lens, if you're looking at it from camera, the front, if you're looking at it from the front and then just above it, about an inch is another button, which is just a, a, a programmable function button, which is super cool. What'd you put on it? Um, we were experimenting. Um, Seth really likes another new feature that made it to the D 800, which is it's, um, leveling, uh, feature so it has. Uh, uh, like the, ex- didn't Excel- the D3 have the D3 like had? Yeah, the D3 does have an uh, an inter internal like accelerometer level um, in it, but it's not terribly easily accessible. You know, you have you have to kind of jump through a hoop or two to get it. And same with the it's on the Mark III Canon, and it it's okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, but it, it it could be cool if it were a little bit more accessible and they addressed that in the d800 in a couple of really cool ways um one cool way is that in addition to doing um the the left to right access if axis if you will it also does the front to to back axis so um i guess no that's not the right way to put it uh the way they've displayed it that you know so that the the first gen the d3's way of displaying this was uh, graphically on on the on the back of the LCD. It basically put up like the sort of horizon meter that you would see in an airplane. You know, like yeah. a, a circle with the, the crosshairs. The same way. Yeah. And they then, also do it in the in the viewfinder, and it just uses the autofocus points. Uh, interesting. The the D eight hundred has the option to enable that um, leveling thing in the viewfinder. And it, when it does, it actually adds additional meters, if you will. Like I would guess just off the top of my head, like a 20 segment, you know, little meter, uh, that looks, that looks like an autofocus or, or, um, an exposure style meter, but it's got, you know, 20 segments and there, there's one bar centered on the bottom, just above everything else. And then one bar, 
uh, centered on the right hand side, just just to the left of everything else. So it's sort of superimpose. You know how like these newer sure. cameras can superimpose a grid, mm-hmm. or they can add or remove the autofocus points. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's a neat trick, and that's that's what that seems to be doing. So when that is enabled, uh, and so w- I think what he did was he put that he put that leveling thing on one of those buttons, so he could have the camera up to his uh, up to his eye, Press hold this. this button in, see his leveling, and then let go, and then it's out of the way. Um, the other cool thing we discovered was that um, you can cycle through different display options when you're in video mode. Apparently, Seth has been shooting a ton of video with this thing. Uh, this, in fact, from what he told me, this this was his first still shoot with the D800 because he just got it. Um, uh, and we discovered that you can actually cycle through and um, get the, the the way they they represent the uh, they use the same you know flight deck style um, horizon leveler icon eight ball kind but of they but they overlay it over the video just okay. to, just as white lines which is kind of nice so that way you can still see your shot but you can then you know if you kind of look look around on the screen you can see if you're if you're level or not so i thought that was kind of cool I, I i could see that feature the whole leveling feature i could see it being really useful for landscape photographers and for video maybe yeah to me if you're shooting other stuff it's sort of like well either you can see yeah. Either it looks right or it doesn't look right, right, regardless of whether it is right. No, it's true. Um, yeah, it's just a strange feature. But I always liked it in the D3. I was always like, oh, see, that's a good idea. You know what else I think they should do? Because mm. it's funny. I, I've now had the 5D Mark III for, I don't know, what, like a couple months now? Yeah. And I'm really starting to like it. That's good. Like When I got it, I was like, okay, it feels better. The viewfinder's better. Mm-hmm. The shutter sounds better. Mm-hmm. But it's not that different than the Mark II. And it's still not yeah. night and day different than that's the Mark II. But you like the Mark II, so that's right. all good. But it is, it's a much more refined camera than the Mark II. Yeah. And and the files are better than I gave them credit for in the beginning. And I think part of that is that well, the Lightroom, new Lightroom has upgraded. Updated. Yeah, they got the newer. So they, they've been, like, there were release candidates and those, like, supported it or whatever. But yeah. now when, with, the like, the full... Lightroom 4.1 or whatever it was that came out last week has full support. And yeah. the files just look so good. That's great. Like to the point where it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. what more could you possibly need than this? You know, like it does everything. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's kind of nice. The, uh, uh, I need to, I need to try some of those other features that I never get around to using like the leveler and <laughs> levels and, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Although I was shooting some stuff. I think we talked about this last week when I was shooting that stuff for Zay Frank. I couldn't find the video settings to save my life. And it turned out they were, you had to put it into video mode Yeah, and they're not in the menu system. They're like well, separate, you, like a video camera. Yeah. Be. You have to be, that's, that's what we found out with Seth's thing as well. Um, you have to be in on the D 800. You have to be in the video mode and then the buttons kind of perform Change slightly function. different functions that are sensitive to the context that you're in, yeah. you know, video. It's and, just yeah. different the way than the way they've been doing this stuff for the past well, I think it, ma- it makes sense. They're getting feedback from professionals who use their stuff, and yeah. they're adapting. Yeah. Which is All they good. need to do is put, get the whole zebraing thing in on the screen you like for that? focus. I don't like it, but apparently that is the kind of thing that serious pro video people are just like, okay, I can't use this without that. You know what's amazing is that that feature, the zebra feature uh, for focus. Old um, school. It's Well, it used to be – it wasn't for focus. It used to be for exposure. Used to be, you know, used to get zebras for, you know, blow down highlights, right? Because um, in the old days, you know, there was no such thing as a color viewfinder. You know, everything right. was just black and white. Um, but um, there are actually, there's a company called Marshall that makes these little big giant guitar amps. Yeah, they're little guitar amps that are giant <laughs> that have uh, a lot of tubes in them. Yeah, and uh, they write their name in script on the front. Okay, what does this Marshall company do? Uh, Marshall makes um, these terrific little battery-powered, or not, you know, it doesn't have to be battery-powered, but they're these terrific little uh, high-quality video monitors. Um, they range in size from 5 inches to 11 inches, I would say. Like, there's a 5, a 7, and an, an 11. Um, and they're very common in, you know, pro video. Yeah. Uh, because you can, you know, think about it, a monitor that size, you can stick it on a little magic arm, a little mini magic arm, like on the side of your camera, and get yeah. really great looking, you know, way better color and focus reference than you would on the bu- any, you know, the built-in viewfinder that comes with the camera. Um, and some of these higher-end models actually have different overlay modes where you can it'll actually analyze 
the footage coming in and tell you if it's in focus or not using like contrast detection or something That's like pretty that. impressive. It's pretty slick. They're yeah. not cheap, um, but they're pretty cool. It's, uh, it's amazing. I was uh, at Arama last week picking up a book that I had printed there, which was terrible, which I won't talk about until I get it fixed. Uh-huh. But um, they had some of those in the video section up front. They had some of these new light panels. And like the, there's the ones that are yeah, dude. the cheap ones that are like two inches thick or whatever. There's some now that are like a half Wafer an inch thin. thick. Yeah. They must have the power supply somewhere else. And it's just the LEDs in there. Yeah. But like regardless. Brilliant. It's, yeah, it's dude, like they're, literally they're, they're, sticking on a wall. Yeah, dude, those are revolutionizing video now. I mean, I, I follow a well, few more. Between that and video cameras that can shoot at 800 or 1600 that's, ISO, dude, you don't need it. a lot of light. That's just it. I, I follow a handful of um, you know, DSLR slash cinematography type blogs just since I've been getting more and more into video. Um, and it's, it's amazing, man. These guys are, are making these really terrific little kits. Um, and LED lighting is very quickly becoming you know a, a standard go-to another another example um one of my favorite companies um for uh hot lighting you know for continuous lighting this company called uh dado d-e-d-o uh i think they're german and um i was first introduced to them uh, my, my friend Matt rented a, a kit from them from Adorama, uh, and they make these really terrific. They're ba- everything is baby sized. Um, they make these little baby focusable like um, Fresnel, you know, f- lights right. like hot lights. So basically, imagine you know your standard halog- halogen, you know, you know, video light like a Lowell or a Toto, or whatever, um, and then put a couple of lenses in front of it. Um, that are focusable that you can move forward and backwards so you can get a really nice wide beam and focus it all the way down to a pretty tight spot. Um, and then they use uh, XLR cables as their interconnect for, for power. So that's kind of nice. So, you you know, XLR cables are a dime a dozen. You can run them however far or short as you need. Um, you can plug them directly into the power supply just to get 100% power and, you know, worry about it that way. Or you can buy one of their little controller packs. Like battery pack? Uh, like a like a like not a battery battery pack, but more like like a like a, a head and pack okay. system, which then lets you. Get, I think they give you finer control. I don't think they're full on dimmable, but they'll give you like four different discrete or three different discrete. You know, full three quarter, half, and one quarter power settings. Um, and it, and they'll also power up to like three or four heads. Who makes this thing? I think it's called Dado Dado Light. Spell it D E D O. Okay. Um. Uh, and they, they're also working on, you know, and they also, obviously they make big, big, you know, huge, you know, HMI style, you know, with ballasts and, you know, color temperature corrected fluorescent stuff and, and then, you know, stage lighting that they'll, you can hang from a big grid and, you know, they make that kind of stuff, but I think they're most well known for their little stuff. That's really popular with video people. Um, and most recently they just announced this really slick led based system, which basically takes the same concept. They put a super bright white led in a little, you know, I would say it's maybe the size of, uh, you know, imagine a red bull can and then scale that down about 75%. So that that's about the size, you know, or maybe some sort of a a jar of of jelly or something like that, you know, something like that. Um, and then they basically put a couple of lenses and some barn doors on it and it suddenly becomes this really efficient, bright, focusable, manageable light source that doesn't use a lot of power and you can, and it doesn't weigh a lot either. So you can stick it on your camera um, or on a stand or on your head or, you know, hold LED based stuff is changing the world. It's awesome, man. It's really, really it's weird cool. Cause they weren't invented all that long ago. LEDs. I remember the first time I really kind of learned to, or the first thing that really struck me about LEDs was how they could be, you could replace light bulbs with them. And I was interning at that post house in Chicago back in the mid nineties. And this, one of the engineers there was a super nerdy, like, you know, hardcore like you go to his office and he's got all the oscilloscopes and soldering irons and you know cables and tools everywhere um and he was retrofitting old otari um tape decks with traditional you know amber you know analog vu meters because one of the things he, he he said he'd have to replace those stupid vu 
meter light bulbs. Like, yeah, they're dinky little things. Yeah, once or twice every couple of years, and he's like that, and they're huge pain in the ass to go in and open up. And he's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put LEDs in here, and I'm not gonna have to worry about this for years. Yeah. And sure enough, and that, now I would imagine that's the standard. I don't, I, you know, I would imagine they don't dare put actual light bulbs in there. I think now they just have little screens and all these things. <laughs> yeah, screens. Um, but I thought, you know, when when that thought occurred, I'm like, duh, that makes perfect sense. Why sure. not put an LED in that that just doesn't ever burn out? And so, uh, you know, we've been going towards there. I think the I don't know what it was. Something something interesting happened. The can you th- can you remember the first time that you saw one of those obnoxious purple or you know bluish super bright LEDs? Like the backlit, like the LCD LEDs or no no, no. LED light emitting actual di- light, LEDs lights. Yeah, I can tell. I, I have a very specific. When? memory. how long ago are you talking? This was. It has to have been in the late nineties, like ninety eight, ninety nine. And I remember the first product that I ever saw that had one of those were my Mackie SRM 450 loudspeakers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And like the ones that are on these speakers in front of me that I have pieces of they're tape everywhere. over. They're yeah. everywhere now. In fact, I cover them. What color are these? They're probably purple, right? That yeah. hideous, like, deep blue purple. I think they are. Piercing. Actually, you know what? It's funny because, oh, you know why? Because they're not turned on. <laughs> Um, um, let me just see. Oh wait, no, those are but those backlight the logo on your. On no, your, no, no, they don't. They're oh. like a little LED. They're a little green LED. Oh, okay, that's different. And they drive me nuts, and I they, they have gaffer's tape over them. I bet you know. I bet, and that's but, uh, even my. I have a little M Audio interface, the little FireWire interface. Yeah, and yeah, it's like everything on it's just like a piece of tape. Yeah, th- actually, then following that, my Focusrite. I had a Focusrite OctoPre. Which is this oh, really, the focus right at really bright lights. Oh my god, it was so bright. I mean, and I would take it on gigs, and I would, you know, need to record in, in the clubs and stuff like that. And it was just, I would light up the room, and it was insane. It was yeah. so so bright. Um, so yeah, I, I can remember like there's some something must have happened in the in the late '90s in, in, in the world of LED engineering uh, that really. But do you also remember when it. when LCDs? Went from having little lights coming in from the side. I do like my to having ba- to being backlit, and then they, they right. have that like the terrible like cyan backlights. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like the really sure bright, awful. I do, I do. Like um, Roland gear and Yamaha gear, like that kind of thing. My dad, I think, got as a gift or something like that. Again, this is mid '90s now. Maybe even yeah, I was still in high school for sure. And he got this. This is in the day of the Sony Watchman. Sure. The handheld portable battery operated television. Very exciting. Set. Yes. Um, and uh, along the same lines as old school video cameras not having color viewfinders, for some reason they were able to get black and white, you know, displays sharp enough and small enough to, to make, you know, reasonable for, for consumer use. Um, and so I essentially, if you can imagine think back to the you know to that were old the, were the original watchmans were they lcds um well no they were whatever they were, that whatever that technology i don't they know were, what, okay i don't know what that technology is called but essentially they were a giant version of the little magnified viewfinder that you would see in a consumer camcorder yeah, 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 of, gotcha, of yeah. those days so you know kind of a really contrasty wishy-washy yep um, image that was always on a weird slant. It was always on a kind of weird. Yeah, because there's like because there's uh, usually a lot of times there were uh, mirrors like bouncing it and yeah. stuff. Anyway, so so we had this product and I cannot remember. I, it might have been a Sanyo, but I don't think so. It was this little handheld television that ran on AA batteries, and <laughs> it was a color television. So what it did it essentially was a, a th- two inch, maybe two point two inch yeah. color LCD that flipped up about 45 degrees and it was not backlit behind it. When you flipped it up, it revealed a very shiny mirror <laughs> that you were supposed it was to, supposed to bounce like sunlight or whatever. You were supposed to it? bounce light to backlight this hideous little television set. That's classic. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I wonder if he still has it. I should, should go ask him. Uh, I wish I knew where that thing was. <laughs> um, I'll see if I can, um, you know, one of the downsides of doing these live shows is that I can't Google stuff while I'm talking. Right, right, right. So, um, I'll well, see if I can. I can. Yeah. Well, but I'm the one who, you know, knows what it looks like. Yeah. 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 We'll so, find it. We'll see. We'll well, find well, it. We'll I'm find not sure it. if I can find it cause I cannot remember what it's called. I, I, I really wish like on my, um, my NEC monitor, because it's like this high-end pro monitor mm-hmm. in the settings, you can change the color of the LC LED and you, or you could turn the LED off the power LED. Hmm. Cause like if, you know, if it's too garish, How many colors or whatever, you could choose from? 
it can be green or blue and oh. you can, and then you can also turn it off. I think. Neat. Um, but it makes sense because if people are super color, no, critical, a, it's like, I want nothing. One, my is like that too. Right. You can set that. Um, but I just think it's kind of funny that think more things should be like that, especially computer based things. Well, I think more pro things should be like that. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of feature that you, that is like a no brainer. Right. That, you know, someone just needs to write a, a simple line of Every code. Every once in a while. Yeah. People need lights, but most of the time I just don't want to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I would, I would equate it to the autofocus beep, the confirm beep, you know, coming on, you know, with, yes. all, with all, I turn that off too. Yeah. Well, fortunately I've turned everything off. My, the 5d, you can actually, you can turn off the autofocus point. You can turn off like the metering circle. You can have it. So there's like almost nothing in the viewfinder. Nice. Which is actually really nice because it makes it feel much more like an old school film camera, you know, where there's nothing in there. One thing I've always, I've always, this is another reason why, you know, I tend to lean more towards Nikon over Canon as far as the industrial design and whatever you want to call it, the intention. Um, when you, I don't know if you can confirm this, if they're still doing this, but I remember my friend got his 5D Mark II and we pulled it out of the box and we started, or maybe it was a 7D, I can't remember. Um, and by default, the, the the beeper was on. Yes. Out of the box. Yep. And with the Nikon D3 and the D800, by default, the beeper is off. Right. I, I wonder think. what it is in the 1D, though. I don't know. I don't remember. But it's just like, I think that's a smarter move. Yep. I think turning it off by default right. is smarter. Not that not that a, any self-respecting nerd wouldn't go in and find it and make, right, right. make it so. Yeah. But it's still, come on, really? It's always fun playing with like a new piece of gear. And like, even though it's it, most of the time, it's not changing anything that's like world changing. No. But but just kind of making it feel like it's yours and not just yeah, yeah. one of a just billion tweaking others. Tweaking it and customizing it and finding your things. Yeah, I, I love that, man. I love I love the fact that now more and more of the controls are customizable and you can. Yeah, you, all it, of the, the the Canon you can change almost all the buttons up by the shutter. Uh huh. You can set custom functions for almost all of them. Nice. Um, I rarely do because you know what? I, most of the time I'm shooting, I'm worried about the shutter. Sure. I'm not changing ISO settings and stuff on the fly. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Right. I'll ch- I'll set that stuff and then I'll let it go. Um, so it's just kind of funny that some people they never want to take their eye out of the view. For, I mean, maybe for a sports guy or something like yeah, that. Sports or, or fishing? Yeah, fishing. Yeah, fishing you know, hunting, uh, birding, birding, or nature. Birding. We'll just pull up nature. People are into birding. Yeah, you don't see too many fishing photographers. That'd be neat. You know, it's funny enough. This weekend, when Heather and I were walking her niece across Central Park, mm-hmm. we walked by the big whatever that is. What is the, the big lake pond in the middle? Yeah, the Great Great Lake or whatever it's called. Um, the Great Pond. And this guy was this kid was like pulling a cat, like a catfish out of it. Uh-huh. I had no idea. Is it stocked? Uh-huh. And I was like, wait a minute. Just, you know, and the mother was trying to like get the fish, and he was trying to pull it out. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, leave it in the water, like in short shallow water, and get pliers and. You know, I don't get fishing myself, but like, if you're going to fish, like pull the thing out and let the thing swim away, you know, catch and release, catch and release. Um, you don't need to, unless you're hungry. Yeah. But I don't think it's legal actually to, you know, pull the fish out and eat it from central park or else people would just go there and fish and eat. Why not? People do that all the time on like in the East river and the uh, Hudson river. River, It's one thing, but like, you know, it's, I think it's another thing like in the, in central parks pond, you're supposed to go fishing to eat. It seems weird. Weird, yeah, but but I don't think it should be illegal. Yeah. Um, so next week, big week, big week, huge week, <laughs> big week, huge week. <laughs> uh, wow, what's happening? WWDC. All right, sure, sure. Next, next Monday. I've been so oh, man. I've been so slammed. So have you not seen the rumors? I've been seeing touches of rumors. Obviously, there's going to be a new Mac Pro. Uh, well, that's that's the rumor. Yeah. Um, this whole retina display in the laptop thing. Come on, dudes. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if you it think ha- it's going to happen, I don't think it's an, if it's definitely going to happen. I don't think, well, yeah. Here's but the thing, do you dude. think it's going to happen this week? I guess it's my no, question. I don't think so. Um, my gut again, this is, this is tempered, tempered gut feelings from, you know, historical years of, of watching this stuff go by. Sure. Um, Apple has a tendency to, to, to you know to curtail the number of things that they announce they change uh, at small a time. they change one or two things at a time so so sure the the pro the pro desktop is the most ripe for update and that's probably 
a, the safest bet. And they'll update the laptops to Ivy Bridge, but not change that much else. Possibly, but you know, the, 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 the next most likely updates would be to the other products, you know, the Pro Desktop or the, the laptop. There have been rumors about the, the, the consumer laptop line going away, which is, I think is interesting. Um, and Wait, then, say that again? There's been rumors of the consumer laptop, the, the MacBook, the non-MacBook Pro. Well, there is no MacBook. There's MacBook no, Air and MacBook Pros now. There's no regular MacBook anymore. They still, don't they still make the... Uh... Nope. Oh, well, then well which is, well, which is part of what's funny is that some guy uh, commented... What is that noise? It's somebody drilling outside the window, apparently. I Neat. hope it's not in the recording. Oh, what else? Um, I think because they're doing construction on the building next door. Mm. Some guy writes uh, from KGI Securities Analyst Ming-Chi Kwa. Mm. Today issued a new report outlining his belief that Apple's thinner... Retina-equipped Mac laptop, uh, Mac notebook will arrive next week as a new model, referred to simply as the MacBook. He believes that the MacBook will be offered alongside upgraded versions of the 13 and 15-inch Pros and the 13-inch. It's like, no, that's what the Air is for. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like he's like, oh, it'll be 13 inches. It'll be priced at $1,200. It won't have a disk drive. It'll come with an SSD and a hard drive. Yeah, I, I don't buy that shit. Yeah, it's so. Wait, but you're telling me, like wait, you go to, if you go to store.apple.com, you're telling me there is no more MacBook. There is no more MacBook. There's hmm. a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro. How about that? So for the last like eight months or so, I haven't been paying attention. Um, I think that I think that they're going, and then so I don't know if you saw this, but there was a picture mm-hmm. of the back label of a 13-inch MacBook Pro hmm. um, that somebody you know mm-hmm. took a picture of or whatever it is. And uh, this this could make you happy. Me? Yep. How so? Uh, because, okay, so it's Ivy Bridge, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh, four gigs of RAM, 500 uh-huh. gig hard drive, uh-huh. 13-inch screen, 1280 by 800, so not re- re- retina. Retina. Right. Um, with the Intel HD Graphics 4000, which is the new Ivy Bridge graphics, which uh-huh. is all good news to me. Sure. And uh, where is it? Where is it? USB 3. Two USB 3.0 ports. So it looks like they're going to use the Everbridge chips and in, actually put in, drivers in yeah. for the USB 3. In the laptops, anyway. Right, which is great news for me because that means that my new Hackintosh will probably completely work as of this time next week. Totally. Um, but some people say, oh, it's fake, it's fake. It's like, well, this is actually a very conservative label. Like, the things that have changed, they put Ivy Bridge, they put USB 3. Yeah. Otherwise, it's the same Everyone machine. The same. Yeah. Um, and so basically what you're saying is they may upgrade this stuff like this kind of upgrade, but that if it's one big machine, it'll be the new Mac pro. Yeah, that's just, I mean, yeah, exactly. And then there's also, I was, there's other things on that list. The iPhone is ripe, um, for update, you know, Not we, until well, October, we know it's going to happen, but people are clamoring about them. De- it won't happen until October. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, what we will probably see a lot of noise about is the new version of the iOS, right. which, which hasn't been said you know no sure. one said a thing about so but ios I, man is getting pretty mature definitely well it's in the six man it's right in the so it's six. sort of i mean but i it's getting to the point where okay you're changing stuff but you're not changing the world you know what i mean but that's the way the, apple does things man no no, no but, I, I understand that i guess what i'm saying is that like i don't know what people are expecting to have it to have that it's going to be so blow away knockout the, well, apple has been i don't know why they do i mean i can i can suppose but they're really calculating about the stuff that they choose to, to fix and include and update. And when, um, you know, like for example, the whole cut and paste thing, it's a safe bet that they had that figured out well before it made it into the actual release, you know, there, and and the, you know, things like about the camera and things about like, just, just the way like a unified inbox and mail, you know, little, just little stuff. That's like super obvious that, you know, engineers and, and, you know, consultants and critics had all pointed out months before, you know, but for whatever reason, the, the powers that be that decide what officially ships and what doesn't, you know, they have some grand plan of strategy in, in mind when they, when they decide what goes where and when and how. And, uh, cause that's the thing, man, I, I've said this before and I always, it always, you know, blows me away how people, assume that that apple doesn't know what the hell they're doing right. <laughs> you know it's like come on dude they the people who work there are just like you but even more hardcore you know they're more passionate and more nerdy about that stuff and if you think that you're proposing something that they haven't already thought about and considered and probably already did 
you're 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 probably in for a little surprise. All right. So, what is your thirty second rundown of what they're going to announce? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, I think they're going to announce um, new desktops. You know, a pro desktop, obviously with Thunderbolt. You know what I don't understand? Could, okay, they, people are always like, okay, we don't need this giant case anymore. The Mac Pro case is way bigger than it arguably needs to be. Okay. And some people say it's because of the width, because you have to have the DVD drive. But, like, okay, for the amount of times that people actually use the Super Drive, okay, I can understand somebody needs an optical drive. You could totally take the optical drive from the iMac and stick it in the front edge of, you know, yeah, a, a put Mac a slot Pro. loading in. Yeah. I mean, you know, slot load from the front vertically. It's true. They did that with the with the Xserve, you know? Right. And, and so then, like, then you don't have to. Then it's like, okay, well, then you can have it any width you want. It could be down to three and a half inch hard drive width in some ways. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you like know. like an Xserve. I mean, here, right. think about it, dude. The Xserve. Do you think it's going to be almost like an Xserve on its, on its side? I wouldn't be surprised if the new design is 100% more rack mount friendly. Presently, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the current design of the of the the G5 slash Mac Pro that that you know the cheese grater enclosure sure. that's pushing ten, on a long ten years time. at this point. When that came out, that pissed a lot of people off because the only way that you could hope to fit it into a night a standard nineteen inch equipment rack was either sitting it on its on its foot and then putting three of them next to each other because they do right. they do cram in. Does or, three of them end up lining up to whatever nineteen inches or whatever it is? You know. I don't remember if it's three or two. Two is most common. I think you can actually... I take it back. I think you can only put two. Um, so that's one way. But, dude, you're wasting a ton of vertical space in sure. a rack, which is worth something to some people. And and then the other thing you can do if you're really ballsy is you can literally take a saw... Cut off the handles. Cu- and cut off the handles, and then it just barely fits in. Um, and that's a hack, you know, and then you put it in like one of those rail drawer systems or shelf systems or whatever. Um, so uh, that would be one, you know, again, we're talking about the pro market here and there are, you know, people in the media business, people in video and yeah. audio who would strongly appreciate that. And then, and then the other sort of nod towards that is, is the, you know, not so recent demise of the, the Xserve, which was the only official rack mounted Apple product. Um, which then they said, okay, well, we understand that you guys still want to use Mac OS X server. Why don't you use a Mac Pro instead? And it's like, okay, well, fine. But I like the idea or that, Mac that, that my Mac Pro... <laughs> yeah, right. It's true, actually. Now, that's the only machine actually shipping with the server software pre-installed. Um, uh, well, because I, I think Apple, in some ways, has given up the idea that they are going to be a server... I mean, you have the mini for the people who are like, oh, we just want a little file server for this small office or whatever it is. But I don't think that they think they're going to take over enterprise no, back end. That, that's true. They, They've given they that up to Microsoft and, and Sun and whoever else still does that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's weird because um, they did really make a really concerted effort with the whole uh, video thing. Like right. I remember when um, XSAN came out. And, and technically speaking, XSAN is fine. Um uh, I don't know if you know this. There's a there's a company out there called Quantum that makes storage products, and they purchased um, a SAN. Um, there's no people from Apple who left and started it. No, no, no. Quantum has been around for a long time. Okay. The the product I'm talking about is called uh, I want to I say it's called Storenext. Okay. Um, and essentially Apple licensed or bought Storenext for Macintosh and put XSAN label on it. So when you're and and all Xsan is essentially is a you know Apple skinned version of Storenext and Storenext is actually this long you know long standing established Unix based SAN infrastructure that it has been around for years and years and used in professional video and production you know for for a really long time and and fortunately it's compatible so you know fortunately if you have an existing Storenext uh, in, install, um, you can add your Macintoshes to it and, and they behave just, just fine. Although you can't really do any of the hardcore tweaking that you can with the Unix version because the, the Apple version is extremely dumbed down. Of course um, it is. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but Apple put a ton of money into that, you know, four or five years ago, really, really pushing Apple it really hard. Tr- I think they tried to sell the whole server system. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's an example of the stuff that people don't remember that Apple tries they think that everything Apple does turns to gold. And no, man, they look had at Ping. Some, yeah, you know, like has Ping done 
No. I don't think anybody's even touched it. No, well, that's because Facebook burned that. Right, but I'm just saying that like Apple tries stuff all the time that just falls on its face. It's true. It's and true. Most people just sort of somehow have selective memory of all that kind of that's thing. That's true. Um, yeah, it's all it's all fascinating. Now they're going to change out the maps. The yeah, rumor I've is they're going to change out the maps I've in iOS that. six. Um, it better be good. Yeah, it better be good. But you know what? Google Maps on Android mm-hmm. was always much better than Maps on iOS. And did, you know, turn-by-turn turn directions and all yeah, that I kind never, of stuff. I never really tried it. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like, I'm glad they're doing this because then Google can come out with a Google Maps app, theoretically. Theoretically. Here's the thing, man. I I still haven't found... When Google Maps first came out, what is it, like six, seven years ago now? Yeah. Um, what drew me to it, more than anything else, and I know this might sound weird, um, is the fact that whatever whatever technology they use to draw the maps like the the line art technology the vector i don't know if it's you vector do, based or whatever like it. huh it's great because if you compared it to map blast or bing map or quest, map yeah. quest or any of the other map services out there they all looked like junk you know yeah and I'm not saying it's perfect, but I will say that it is probably the best of the bunch that I have seen. And I think they've, by the way, it's seven years old, came out in 2005. Yeah. Um, I think that they've, they've, it used to be, um, more bitmap and now they're making it more and more vector as time goes on. Yeah. And I'm sure Apple is using, apparently the thing is that they're using open street maps to do theirs, which is like open source street Uh map system. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's going to look pretty. I guess the the version of iOS, uh, iPhoto for iOS, uses OpenStreetMaps with, like, basically Apple-skinned OpenStreetMaps inside of it. Hmm. So I, see, I haven't seen any of that stuff, so I don't know That gives us I'm an in. example of what it's going to look like, and it looks fine. Does it? Well, but, I mean, I, I'll have to see it for myself to, to it looks know good. whether you or know, not it, 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 it's going to be better than... You know what? I'm a guy, though, who actually likes Google products. I use Gmail. Sure. I use Google Apps. I yeah. use. I like you know, Google products. Are yeah, okay. and so I just want to use Google Maps because then it links in all the rest of my stuff. You it's know, true. yeah, um, nice. and I'm used to it, and that's what I look at when I'm online or whatever it is. And sure. I understand that Apple wants to control everything that they ever do, and sure, but you know, I want the option. In some ways, Maps is one of those things where it's it's almost to the point where all these operating systems should offer you options like they do with search engines. Oh, right. Like, which map do you want to use? Google, Bing. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's some sort of standardized system for the URLs or whatever it is. Well, and the other thing that that Google Maps on the phone has been missing forever, uh, although I guess this last recent update of OS, uh, of the iOS, sort of gives you some choices, uh, is the the whole alternate route planning thing when you're getting directions. Yeah. In the older, I mean, uh, prior to this version, you know, five years in now practically you can do it on the web um, on the web version you can yeah but on the in the native app, the maps app on the phone but see i don't think the maps app on the phone i think it's using google data but i don't think google has anything to do with that app's coding i don't think so either i th- so in some ways people are like oh the google apps on ios sucks it's like well no that's apple's app yeah, that's true. not google app no they're just pulling the, they're just getting the information from exactly google. um so yeah like what i was about to say is that uh, I, I wish simplified. we had f- a few more options. I mean, even, geez, man, when MapQuest first came out 10 years ago, or however long, even they had, like, the, the simple options of, you know, fewer tolls versus more tolls. Like, come on, that's, like, yeah. Directions 101, and that's still not on the, uh, yeah. the, the Maps iOS well, app. Well, the Maps iOS app is very simplified. It's true. Um, and so I think they're going to come out with the new Mac Pro. I think it's going to be thinner. I, you, you could almost make an argument for one where the front of it was some sort of not door that could open, but like some sort of bank where it was just where you could almost put the hard drives in straight in the front, almost like you would in a, uh, a raid. Yeah. You know, you could have five or six banks right there. Yeah. I don't see that happening. I know, but that's would be awesome. Yeah. I, I you know, what would be amazing is if they were made, made a return, you know, I, I got to say, just speaking nostalgically, if that's a word. Um, one of my all time favorite Macintosh designs was the uh, the original Mac uh, the Macintosh two CI? Uh, are you familiar with that one? Yeah, that was little. It was little. I loved it. It was a great little box. Go go ahead and Google this I one got if you want. Um, if I had to guess, the dimensions were probably fifteen or sixteen inches square, uh, and then it stood maybe five or six inches high. Yeah, and uh, I just that I think that's a really good size for a computer. 
It is. The problem is, is that pro people won't let it have less than four hard drives in it. You could fit four hard drives in there. Yeah, but four hard drives plus two socket processors plus the power supply just, plus a video card that people are going to want. Know, I, know. I think this saying. is the perfect size for a headless Mac that you can also put stuff. Essentially, like something between a mini and a pro. You know, basically yeah. the you, you want you want something with a, with an i seven quad core processor that you can also have up to four hard drives in. Yeah. That's Where right now you just you can't get that for less than twenty five twenty eight hundred dollars. So know, my hope is. is let's take a Mac two CI and stretch it out to nineteen inches, and then maybe shrink it down so it'll be a two U, uh, two U tall, you know, uh, by nineteen wide enclosure, and it'll okay. be maybe, uh, you know, sixteen inches deep. That that'd be my guess. Pizza box. Yeah, I guess so. Enough, but pizza box te- technically is one U. Usually, that gets that classification. And what if people don't rack mount these things? Then it's just going to be a big box. No, it'll just be a slab kind of thing. You know, interesting. That's my hunch. My hope. Let's put it that way. Your hope. That's that's a fair thing. Yeah. So we'll I see. don't know. I guess we'll see. It's uh, it's uh, it's funny, man. The people love the rumors. <laughs> it's know? true. It's true. I'm, I'm also. I don't, I'm pretty sick. Did you see this new? Uh, Update on the Belkin Thunderbolt thingy. Okay, yes, I've seen the Belkin one. I've seen the Matrox one. Here's the thing that kills me. Hmm. Now, basically, for those who don't know, these are boxes that have gigabit Ethernet, USB 2 and 3. They've got audio in and out. They've got FireWire. He said, uh, and then they've got a FireWire or a Thunderbolt connection to the computer. Mm-hmm. What kills me is that these are all... Basically, you're paying $300 to get ports that you had in the last generation. Right. That's what kills you? Well, no, it's just it's funny to me that people are clamoring to buy a $300 box that gives them back ports that they took away. Well, it, it's just kind of it's funny to me that like it you know what it is that that kind of feels like one of those boxes that you know when you ha- you go through your box of computer crap that you've had for 20 years or whatever sure. it is and you pull out something and you're like, "Oh man, remember when we had to have an extra card that went in the computer to have connect hard drives with SATA because the motherboards had whatever in them. Yeah. And it's like, it's like this weird sort of Frankenstein thing that's in between generations. I guess that's what that box feels like to me. See, to me, it feels useful for a laptop as a docking station. That's who it's for. Right. But $300 for, for, you know, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, but it's not really a lot of stuff. I think it's a lot of stuff. I mean, USB and gigabit Ethernet, like this, it, that shouldn't cost $300. How much do you think those adapters cost on their own? Individually? I, I think for cost, I bet you they're like less than a couple bucks a piece. I, I can tell you that if you want to add USB 3 to your PC, you know, PC Express slot on your computer, you're, you're going to spend a minimum of 50 bucks. Not on a, not on a PC PC, not on a Windows I'm machine. I'm talking about a Macintosh, bro. Right, but that's that's the whole thing is that like people I think people get gouged in on Macintosh. Well, it's not unusual. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> it happens. And that's and it, as somebody who's coming from uh, a Mac, yeah, uh, here we go. PCI Express USB 3.0, mhm, 1999. Mhm. A Newegg. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to me how people people in the Mac world are like almost like kind of okay with getting gouged or they expect it so they you know, they look at something and they see you know the specs or whatever it would cost and it's like okay well there's thousand dollars worth of parts there but apple sells it for two thousand dollars and people are like oh you know whatever it's apple mm-hmm. where people on the rest of the world would be like it's a commodity what the hell are you doing charging an oh, extra and whatever and that's the difference between people yeah. who get it and people who don't get it right but it comes but it comes also down to things like uh uh accessories you know it cost me forty dollars for this ipad front thing what you know what's it called the smart cover yeah forty dollars yeah. for a piece of plastic with some magnets in it yeah you know you, you have to i mean again you're having a hard time separating the 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 physical from the non-physical uh you know there's the the long and the short of it is apple's you know apple's long-standing policy and history are they put a ton of time and energy into research and development yes they do but and i'm saying but but this like that for example has nothing to do with apple that's you know someone had to come up with it and figure it out bro yeah but the belkin guys did it was what i'm saying and i don't you know i'm, and, I'm just saying that, so that's how that's how you justify if you were to, to talk to some economics professor about how much should i charge for my thing one of the one of the basic principles is 
they ask you, well, how much time did you put into it? How much did no. it cost you to make it? And and then from there, how how much money do you want to make? Yes. And and you know, no, I understand all that, but yeah. I'm saying that people like it's almost as if no one making Mac accessories. It's it's almost like this big uh, cartel where no one lowers their prices because they're all on the gravy train. I don't know about that. I mean, if somebody wanted it, there is some, there is definitely an economy to it, man, where if, if it was too expensive and if people didn't think it was worth it, they wouldn't buy it. You know, I mean, pe- like you say, there, there are definitely people who are, you know, a little bit starstruck and will spend any amount of money on anything. But I think on average, yeah, but people I think, are pretty, okay. pretty savvy. I think that, that more Mac people don't know what things actually cost and just assume, Oh, it costs $50 for this Apple one. Well, uh, I'm going to, I guess it costs $50 when an equivalent, you know, third off brand thing costs 1995. And you kind of go, wow. It's like, they have no idea that that doesn't need to cost 50 bucks. You can, I mean, th- this observation that you're making here transcends Apple. In my oh, it, it goes in all yeah. high-end brands. It's like you know the 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 the, um, the washer that you need to yeah. fix this thing, and it costs fifty-five dollars. Or look, at, let's look at luxury cars for a second, or, or you know, and, and like or stereo equipment, or sure. anything like that. There's always going to be, you know, that high-end perception, and, and part of it is the perception. You know, like people think that, oh, okay, well, this must be the good one since it's the most expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's that's you know that's a great aspect of our society but i think it's foolish to to get upset about it well i'm not upset about it except for the fact that i think people are getting taken for their money well what are you going to do about it yeah uh so there's a matrox one apparently that's like a hundred dollars less or something Uh uh-huh um but it has i don't know less usb3 or something like that or it doesn't have esata or whatever it is well I'm, i'm just hoping that we'll see more and more thunderbolt stuff come down the pike because it's been too long yeah, more Thunderbolt, and now that Macs have will have USB three, it'll be nice to be able to use USB three all over the place. Because yeah, for ninety percent of the stuff you think you need Thunderbolt for, the amount of people who need the bandwidth of Thunderbolt is pretty slim. You yeah, know? I'm I'm still it's pros with RAID arrays and stuff like that. Like no one else is using that much bandwidth. No, that's true. Uh, I'm I'm still kind of green or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't have as much as many hours logged uh, with USB three for storage um, as I'd like. So I can't really speak to it from the very brief exposure that I've had to it. It seems pretty cool, but um, I'm, I'm actually overdue. I, I should probably pick up. Um, I mean, what's, what's, what, what dictates it. To, so here, here are the things that, you know, that tell me that USB three is, is, is coming for sure is if you start, if you walk into a computer store like a JNR yeah. Or a Best Buy, or whatever you know, wherever, you, or go shopping on Newegg or whatever, and you start seeing almost or, every external. Or look at Lacy's product line. Yep. You know, that's the that's the, the 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 best deal. You know, the leading product. That's that's the one. Yeah. Um, SanDisk stopped making FireWire eight hundred based uh, card readers. Right. Um, I mean, you can still get them like for hundreds of dollars now on eBay, which is hilarious. Uh, I have two of them. Um, you know, the little silver FireWire eight hundred. Sure. Uh, SanDisk reader. And I think I saw them going for like 150 or $200. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Nuts. Uh, but some people really like those, but, but the replacement. So, so recently I picked up the, you know, the, the Sonnet, um, USB three, uh, express card and it works thing. I haven't, I haven't plugged it in. I haven't had time to take it out of the box. <laughs> it arrived on like Wednesday and it's, do you it's have a, any USB three stuff to try it with? Well, I, I additionally, in, in, in addition to that, I also purchased the, the new SanDisk combo card reader, which I remember the, the previous iteration of it, which was firewire based. I like that one a lot. It's this Is little it black thing, six it, by nine no, or smaller. It's way small. Yeah. It's, 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 it's black. Uh, if I had to give you dimensions on it, I would say it's approximately two and a half I think I inches this square. Uh, what's nice is that their design has this nifty little spring-loaded pop-up business, which uh, which is cool because you can essentially when you when, it's like a little clamshell design where the um, the ports pop up, you know, out of this little you know a little case, which okay. effectively cover the ports to prevent crap from falling inside there uh, if it's in your bag. Okay. Um, and you know, th- that design, they've had that design for a number of years now. Cause I remember again, we, we used to have a bunch of them at detach with the both firewire and USB interfaces. Um, but the, the current iteration of that is USB three. 
Um, and so I haven't had a yeah. chance to. Well, uh, because PCs have had it for the past year. Almost every PC that's come out for the past year is at USB. <laughs> Did you speaking of PCs? Did you see that that big thing about? Um, that's not it either. Um, about uh, VGA ports on laptops. That they still have them. <laughs> yeah. You know why they still have them? I know projectors. Right. Which is stupid though. It's like, come on, people. You know, I mean, the, the, I can't remember where I, where I read this article, but someone did this really funny sort of send up of, of the latest, you know, like the latest Sony. So Sony has always had, a, I, I've always appreciated Sony's industrial design as far as their laptops. I remember mm-hmm. the, when the Vios first came out 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's not for me, but I, I, I see what you're doing and I respect that. It's a nice departure and they're, they're, they're committing and it's good. I also, you know, I also really dug Le, uh, Lenovo, IBM's. Oh, the ThinkPads have always been good. Yeah. They, they, I, there's something about a If black, I didn't have a MacBook, I'd have a ThinkPad. Yeah. The, the black. I used to own a couple of them. They were pretty good. They're pretty sweet. Anyway. Um, so this latest. They're like Darth Vader laptops. They're sweet, man. Um, they're like, yeah. Remember the original Motorola StarTac, the black yeah. one? Yeah. They feel like that, they're, that, that kind of black plastic. Just, just, I don't know. It works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have everything in that kind of black plastic. Um, anyway, um, the, um, the, what was I just talking about? You were talking about, uh, the, the VGA ports. Oh yeah. So this new Sony laptop, um, they did, they, they show a close up of the ports on the side of this computer and some, something I never seen before, which I thought was brilliant, um, is so, so the computer is literally, you could tell when they designed it. They had to design Just it around enough. the height of this an- antique connector, you know, which mm-hmm. is like, what, three-eighths of an inch tall, right? yep. maybe not even, you know, something like that. Um, sitting right next to it is, in my argument, the only other thing that's keeping the, con- the computers as thick as they need to be, which is an Ethernet port. Right. And they have this really clever little hinged drop-down pop-out Ethernet jack that i'd never seen before where they basically take it and i think this is great i mean that's old school there's been slide out ethernet jacks where you kind of plug it in from the top and it's super fragile and gently yeah i remember when modems used to have that right exactly pcmcaa card yes yes exactly all right so So this is not that this is not that this is basically if you if you try to go ahead and google for this this new sony laptop vga uh and you can get a picture of it maybe we can put it in the show notes um and it, I just think it's a really neat idea. Where so basically the 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 port the part of the the port that where the pin you know the tab of the cable snaps in pops down. It's like hinged. So the you know all eight of the contacts are are wired on the top, and then this little thing pops down so you can stick the cable in effectively oh, upside see. down gotcha. to lock it in place. Which ma- which makes a ton of sense because all you need are those eight leads to be you know solid and in place, and then the little th- retainer pin. Oh yeah, I see, see what it. I'm talking about. Yep. And that's a cool design. I I don't know if Sony came like up that. with that. That's it. Uh, I can't see it from here. Um, Is that it? No, that's not it. Yeah, well, but th- that might be it. I don't. That I, might be. Uh, it's, I think it's the same thing on a similar machine. Uh, it's possible. Let me see if I can find the uh, the one that I'm talking about. Um, but you know, and some people are saying as these laptops get thinner. I mean, I knew that like John Sarkisa and these guys were complaining. It's like, you know, I want a laptop with Ethernet. Uh-huh. It's like, I do well, too. Yeah, lots of people do, but like I don't know that it's 90% or, you know, more than 10 or 15% of the market, you know. It's true. Um, it and is at the point at which you had a, you know, the USB 2 to Ethernet adapter that Apple makes is no good cuz well, it's fine, I'm sure, but it's like you're you're limited to half gigabit speeds or less. Right. Um, but a USB 3 USB three is like five or six gigabit. I think it's five gigabit. So you have enough, more than enough bandwidth there to run a gig Ethernet port off the side of the computer with just a dongle. You know. Yeah. And I think that's probably where they're going to go. I can't find it. That's all right. <laughs> it's got to be right here somewhere. Anyway, we are. Uh, look at that. We're actually getting up to an hour already. All right. You're gonna edit that bit out. Say again? Are you going to edit that out? No. No, of course not. Would you like me to? I don't care. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that stuff gets it gets frustrating after a while. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I want one of those Canon pancake lenses. Scan it already. Come yeah. on. The problem Let's is that the it. only people who have them uh-huh. are B&H and Adorama right now. So? Well, that means i got to pay tax. You should get yourself set up as uh, tax-free. Yeah. Tax-exempt. You're an artist. But theoretically, wouldn't I be selling them? No. 
There's a, there's a whole there's a there's a special classification. Well, in the I, state I can of New York. I write off anything that I, you know, yeah, buy anyway. I'm just saying. I just uh, it's like it's tempting. You should you should get that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe I'll get one. It'd be good walk around lens. Totally. That's gonna be a tiny little lens on a pretty big body though. This would be funny is when somebody it's like a body you, cap. Yeah, when people use those like on a big pro camera body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's gonna be pretty funny. All right, you got anything else to add? Mm, no, not that I can think of. All right, well, let's wrap it up. All right. Uh, we are Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan. You can find us at circuitous.tv is the website. Uh, circuitousconversations at gmail.com is the email address if you have questions or comments that you'd like us to tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, go to iTunes and rate our show. Yeah. And uh, and if you'd like to uh, help us out, you can go to circuitous.tv and over on the right-hand side, you can either tip us straight from PayPal. Or click on the Amazon affiliate link. Yes, the Amazon affiliate link, which will take you to Amazon. And anything you buy, uh, Amazon pays us a few cents on the dollar. Yes. And that uh, helps support the show and makes this possible for bandwidth and whatnot. Uh, and so, till next time. <laughs>